This morning we're going to be looking in 2 Peter, but I want to read two passages to you first that really are somewhat of the foundation for why I really felt like the Lord was leading this direction for today. Don't worry about turning to these two passages. Write down the references if you'd like for later. But it's two passages that the Lord's really been dealing with me in my own life. The first one is Psalm 71, which is called the Psalm of Old Age. Jennifer and I have been memorizing portions of it together. And the verse I'm going to read, I, our six-year-old granddaughter, I was asking her verses she's memorizing. And to encourage her, I was telling her some that Grandma and I are memorizing. And when I told her this one verse, when I quoted it to her, she said, Grandpa, that's not in the Bible. And when I give it to you, you'll understand. But Psalm 71, verses 17 and 18. O God, thou hast taught me from my youth, and hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. Now also when I'm old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I have showed thy strength to this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. The importance of the older generations teaching the younger generations and really, except for the youngest one sitting back there in the back in Mama's arms right now, everybody else that is in here this morning, there is a younger generation than you are to be teaching. It's not just those of us that are older, that are bald-headed or gray-headed. Every one of us are younger ones that we need to be teaching. We have failed tremendously at that in our nation and in our churches. It's the reason we have no understanding of our national heritage and no love for our nation. But it's one of the primary reasons that we see what at one time were sound churches that should have been growing, maybe growing in numbers, but faltering spiritually. And we need to be teaching each generation those things that God has taught us. The other passage is Hosea chapter 4. Verse 6 is one that I had often gone to, but I never really looked at the latter part of it. I want to read to you verses 6 and 7. I've been meditating on these It's really a brokenness of heart. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. That thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. As they were increased, so they sinned against me. Therefore will I change their glory into shame. This is written regarding the nation of Israel. The principles are true for us today. We did not replace Israel, but the principles, God does not change. The principles are the same. And truly, because we have not been faithful in preaching, in teaching, in living the truth of God, we have forsaken knowledge. We have forsaken the law of God. That spiritually speaking, as we see our children increase, they continue in sin. And God is turning their glory into shame. It needs to break our hearts. It needs to cause us to have a greater compassion for the needs that are around us. It needs to help us to have a more gracious spirit in the matter of teaching. And as we, you know, we struggle with Grace and compassion and boldness. Uh, I used to think of Brother Webb as being one that was the big sledgehammer. I really did. I tell you what, there's no more gracious or compassionate of a man than he is. 
And it's really when you have the Christ-like gracious spirit and compassionate heart that there's going to be the godly boldness. Otherwise, it's the wisdom of man either way you go. And it's going to falter and it's going to fall. And how we need, as we look at the end of this year and as we're looking at the approaching of the new year, it's a time that traditionally people do set aside to stop and to contemplate what has taken place and to contemplate and to make preparations for what lies ahead. And as we do so, we need to be honest. As we look back over 2018, I start to say 2017, as we look back over 2018, it's kind of hard to say that things are better, is it, if we look through spiritual eyes as what the world is, where our nation is, where our society is. I appreciate the comment of turn off Fox News every now and then. We get so caught up in what's going on in the world that we have lost the joy of the Lord in our lives. We've lost the focus that we're looking into Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We've lost the focus of looking for the blessed hope that lies before us. Instead, we're trying to make everything good right here and right now. And truth is, it ain't going to get a whole lot better. God's word has told us. God knows. The better is when we hear the sound of the trumpet and the shout of the archangel. That's the better that's coming and how we need to be diligent in this time. And with all that as a preface, I'd like for you to turn to First Peter chapter, or Second Peter chapter 1, where we're going to be focusing in the first part of chapter 2, but I want to put it in context by starting in chapter 1 with verse 12. The last epistle that Peter wrote before he was, or that we have preserved for us of the inspired word where God used Peter. Uh, here in Second Peter chapter 1, beginning verse 12. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this, my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness 
shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Let's pray. Father, again, as we come before thy throne this morning, how grateful we are for the privilege that we have to be able to come. We can come freely without the fear of persecution. Father, we can come with the assurance that we have your word in our hands for the reading, for the proclaiming. Father, for those of us that know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, we can come today with that assurance of knowing that we are sons of God and that the day is coming that we shall be with thee and we shall see our Lord as he is, for we shall be like him. Father, we thank you now as we come that it's your desire for your word to have entrance into our hearts to do the working that we need in our lives today. Father, I pray that you would help me to be the earthen vessel to proclaim thy word without creating confusion or being a stumbling block in any way. And Father, I thank you that the powers through thy spirit and thy working, I pray now that you would work in each of our hearts here today for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name we thank thee and we pray. Amen. The nature of man is we like to be able to see rather than to believe by faith, don't we? That's just the way we are, no matter how spiritual we are, how much we say we still like to be able to see it. Yet what a joy as we read this. As Peter was uh, giving this to them, he said, we have a more sure word of prophecy. Here he had just given testimony of being with the Lord Jesus Christ. He had just given testimony of hearing the audible voice of God the Father. And what did he say? You have a more sure word of prophecy where until you do well that you take heed. That should be shouting ground in our hearts. We ought to hold on to it for that purpose of realizing where it is. But as he was writing to this, his desire was for not only, first of all, those to whom he was writing, but this is the inspired word of God preserved for all ages, that it was God's will for us to come to understand the things being taught here. There's a word that's used 15 times in this epistle. It's almost one out of every four verses. And it's the word knowledge or knowing. The importance of us to know, to be grounded, to have that knowledge. And the danger is too often we allow it to get here and we grow heady and high-minded instead of it being the knowledge of the heart, which is what is being brought to. And then a second primary word that's used in this epistle is the word remembrance, which is used four times in uh, this epistle. Putting you in remembrance. How many of you like to be reminded of something? Ladies might be different, but for guys we bristle, don't we, when somebody keeps reminding us of something or how to do it. Uh, There's a bit of a bristling, yet it's through that being reminded, as we're meditating upon it, reminded as we read God's Word. And Peter here understood the importance of reminding over and over and over again uh, that we would be grounded in these things. So as we look at this, we understand God's desire is that we would walk in the knowledge of his word, and we're going to be looking at that a little bit today. As we look at the first verses here of chapter 2, there's a warning that's given to us, a warning of false prophets that did exist, false teachers that will be existing today as we look here in the first verse. But there were false prophets also among the people. Now, who are the people he's talking about? Those to whom... the Old Testament scriptures were given uh, that he was talking about up in verses 20 and 21. 
uh, when he said that holy men of God spake when they were moved by the Holy Ghost. There were still false prophets at that time as well. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privilege shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. As he comes to this portion here, he made a shift from chapter 1 really talking about the blessings of Christian growth, what God has given to us to be equipped and be grown in our lives, of that equipping the positive side of it. And now with this but, he's turning it to but, in light of all of these things, but you need to be aware there are warnings that you need to be aware of also. When there's a putting on, there has to be a putting off first. When there's a putting off, there's a putting on. And that's really a little bit of the principle that's uh, being brought here. There needs to be a warning given. But there were false prophets also among the people. He's reminding them. And he used two different words as we look at this here between prophets and teachers. There's two different words here. Prophets is literally those that were foretelling what was to come. There were false prophets among them. If you would hold your finger here and turn to Deuteronomy 18 with me, please. Deuteronomy 18, verse 20. God's Word gives us a little bit of a description regarding the matter of false prophets. Deuteronomy 18 and verse 20. But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. We have two characteristics here of a false prophet. First of all is one that lacked a divine commission. Notice he said, which I have not commanded him to speak. One that is speaking, but it was not with a divine commission. And the other one is one that taught what is false. The matter of false teaching, we're going to look a little more in the teaching down here, but There's two aspects of false teaching that we need to be aware of. First of all, there's teaching something that is absolutely false. I graduated from Clemson. If somebody's saying that Clemson is not a good school, they're false. (laughs) Actually, it was number three in horticulture in the country when I went there. I don't know where it is today. Uh, But a great love. My spiritual heritage lies really from being at Clemson University. I think it's one of the reasons I have such a great love for my Clemson years and for the university. But there's the teaching of that which is false. We can think of all sorts of false teachers, Catholicism, Mormonism, Islam, Jehovah's Witness, Seventh-day Adventist. Let's bring it closer. I grew up in the United Methodist Church, Methodist, Presbyterians, Lutherans. They're teaching false doctrines. They're teaching things that are false, that are clearly wrong. But there's another aspect of false teaching that too often we don't take into consideration that I would encourage, and that's false teaching by what we omit. Often it's not what is said is wrong. It is wrong because of what is not said. It's not given the whole instruction. I'm from Idaho originally. My family moved to the south when I was in the second grade in 1961, central part of the south, and um, I still remember my folks talking about how slow Southerners talk. And there was a joke when uh, I got my driver's license that a couple of my buddies and I would have and be out riding, and is there anything coming? Nothing coming but a Greyhound bus. That's what wasn't said, uh, what didn't get said. 
But it's true in the spiritual application too. So often in the teaching and the preaching, what is said is true, that it encourages, it excites, but what wasn't said? It may be in warning, it may be in the building aspect, but what wasn't said? So that's false teaching as well. We need to understand that in judging and evaluating teaching and preaching, whether it's false or whether it's true. Is it the whole counsel of God's word? And then the way that Peter wrote this, the terminology that he used, it doesn't suggest that they're teaching a new revelation from God. The way it's written here literally means uh, that they were presenting the teachings as something that was authentic truth, something that was uh, accredited as being correct. And we're going to be looking at the matter of false teachers a little bit too. But stop and think. How much of the false teaching that's going on today regarding Christianity is presented not as some new revelation. That's what Mormonism is. That's really what Catholicism is. But let's come in closer within why are so many Baptist churches falling away. It's because false teaching is coming in not as a new revelation, but it's something that is true, that it's accredited, that it's just really a new way of looking at something. It's authentic truth. It's just that we need to look at it this different way. It's false teaching, and that's what Peter is writing about here. He said, there are false teachers also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. That even as literally means there's a continuation that's going on. It Just as there were there that it's going to continue and also there are going to be false teachers among you as well. Did God's word just tell us that there will be false teachers among us? Then why do Christians so often live as if there are not? Why do we so often live as if we don't need to be careful or guarded? Listening and looking. We... Uh, Got food poisoning once, oh, well, well, a couple of times traveling. But once was from one of my favorite places to eat, Bojangles. And used to be when we would come down from Canada, we knew where the farthest north, north Bojangles was. And we would stop there so we could get real iced tea and a real piece of fried chicken before we went any farther north. One of our trips down, we saw a new one that was just being built that was the farthest north at that point. We stopped there on the way back, and by that evening, we both had food poisoning that put us in a motel for two nights. Uh, it was so bad. Stopping back and thinking through it, and you're going to think, you know, where was your brain? You know, sometimes we get careless, don't we? It was a new Bojangles. Their ice machine wasn't working. So they had a tray to put ice in out for people to scoop their ice into their cups, and that's where it probably came from, that everybody was grabbing the scoop, and the scoop would drop down into the ice, and that's, my guess, that's where it came from, of uh, just not being careful uh, with where we were and what was going on. It's the same way with teaching. It's not that we need to be paranoid. God has given us everything that we need to know right here. We need to be diligent. We don't need to be embarrassed to ask questions in the right way and in a godly way. Uh, But we need to be diligent in those things we're going on. So God has told us here, even as there shall be among you, that there shall be false teachers among you. And the word that Paul used here, or that Peter used here for 
uh, teachers literally means instructor. It's a different from prophet. And stop and think for a minute. Who is the author of Scripture? The Holy Spirit. And even at this point, given the instruction, the office of the prophet is going to cease. The gift of the prophet is going to cease. But there will be teachers that will be going on. So we see even just the magnificence and the soundness of God's word. That there shall be false teachers, false instructors that are going to be among you as Christians. Our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, even in Matthew 7, said, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. We need to be aware that the false teachers are going to come the same way. They're going to come looking just like a sheep. They're going to look like they're sound. And we need to allow God's word to be our standard that we're looking at. Peter wrote, if you look over into chapter 1, verse 3, Peter wrote in the beginning of this epistle, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. God has given us absolutely everything we need to know to be able to discern, to be aware. We just need to be diligent in doing those things. And then I want us to look at the aspect the warning is given that there are going to be false teachers. I want us to look at the beginning of this chapter here of some of the things he's given to us as far as what the work of the false teachers is going to be. Who privilege shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. First of all, they privily bring in damnable heresies. Notice that they have to bring it in. They're bringing it in to us. Uh, but that word privily literally means that they're secretly or craftily doing it. It's in a way that's just subtle of not even realizing that it's coming in. It's the subtleness that's the greatest danger to our lives and that they secretly or subtly do it. And the form that it's written in here, the tense of the verb is predictive that literally means without question, it will happen. We do not live in such an enlightened era or age that it stopped happening or it's not going to happen anymore. And there is no church that is to a point that they don't have to be on guard of watching to make sure that it doesn't happen, that it does not begin to creep in to change things. So what is it they start bringing in craftily or subtly that others may not be aware of? They're not looking closely. They're bringing in damnable heresies. There's a word that's used in these three verses four different times. It's translated damnable. It's uh, uh, translated as destruction. And it's translated as pernicious. It's the same word that is used in each one of these uh, places. And it literally means uh, destructive, and it comes from a word that means to fully or completely destroy. It doesn't mean to just maim. It means to completely destroy. So what kind of, what are they bringing in secretly? Heresies that are going to completely destroy. Are you immune? No, you're not. We need to be continually on the defense. Heresies. It's a term a lot of people don't like to hear, isn't it? Church that we were attending uh, in 
Indiana for a period of time, there was nothing better. And uh, we're, there are some things that we had concerns about, but it was best within a few hours for us to go to. But it came to the point that the pastor was preaching things that were clearly unscriptural. No question, it wasn't a matter of health issues on his part or of uncertainty. And I wrote him a letter of concern, and uh, he didn't respond of what they were. And uh, talking to a dear brother that is in a struggle, and I said, it's heresy. And he said, well, you need to be very careful how you use that term. It's a biblical term. The word literally means a choice, and it's an opinion or a dogma uh, that's contrary to truth. If God's word is truth, and if it's contrary to God's word, it's heresy. We don't have to be of a wrong spirit. We don't have to be of a wrong heart. We need to make sure that our hearts are right before God that they're protected through God's word and through much time in prayer to guard our own hearts, our attitudes. But at the same time, we need to identify what is heresy and to deal with it as heresy and to not just be complacent about it because it's very clear here, damnable heresies. Heresies are going to destroy. Can you lose your salvation? Absolutely not. Can you lose the joy of the Lord in your life? Absolutely. Can you lose the power of the Lord in your life? Absolutely. Can you be the instrument that causes somebody else's heart to be hardened against the gospel? That they will never become saved? And it may not because they're mocking you. The thing that caused me to finally end up in an independent fundamental Baptist church, I was in a social fraternity at Clemson that my Southern Baptist pastor encouraged me to join in order to have opportunity to witness to others. It was a very conservative one. And I have friends, their life friends from there that are Christians. But one of my roommates and I were doing Bible study. And two guys that came their freshman semester to the Bible study joined the fraternity the next year, next semester. Within two years... Both of their lives were destroyed. And I was going through other struggles, and it shows God's mercy. But one of the realities I came to was it was my testimony was partially responsible for their destruction in their lives because I was where I should not have been that made them feel comfortable to come into a place of temptation that ended up destroying their lives. So we need to be very careful, very guarded on these things. So we see that they're bringing in privately damnable heresies. The next aspect that we see about them is they even deny the Lord that bought them. They reject the Lord Jesus Christ, which in their own lives results in eternal damnation. And the way this is written is something that they means continuing to reject. How long can somebody reject the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior? We don't know. It's one of the burdens as we witness to others, as we plead with others regarding salvation. God's word clearly tells us there's a time that he will turn a man over to the lust of his own heart. You don't know that. I don't know that. We can't know that. And we don't need to ever just give up and say, well, we know that that's happened. 
There may be every evidence of it, but we need to continue praying. My dad got saved six weeks before he went passed away at the age of 87, almost 88 or going on to 88 years old. God is merciful and gracious and long-suffering toward us. I'm sorry, he was 88, going on 89. Uh, so, but we see here that they deny the Lord. But there's another truth here I want us to look at that doesn't really have to do with these teachers, but it's a truth that we need to be aware of that bought them. My transition from Southern Baptist to uh, now being uh, true Baptist uh, came through Sovereign Grace Fellowship. And the name carries it all. It's a Reformed Calvinist uh, group, a study group. And I was only in it for a year, but I started struggling a lot. One of them was that matter of limited atonement. Read this verse right here. These are men that are damned to hell, but it also says that the Lord bought them. The price was paid by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ for every soul. It's up to the individual soul whether he's going to accept the gift that has been provided or to reject it. There is no limited atonement. There's limited receiving by those that Again, to the song this morning, those that are going to obey or those that are going to reject. Second Peter is one that many will use to say, well, you can lose your salvation. Absolutely not. We compare Scripture with Scripture, and Scripture can never contradict itself. But just within this passage, I want us to look quickly at the fact that these are unsaved men. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 1, they bring upon themselves swift destruction. In verse 3, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not. Again in verse 3, their damnation slumbereth not. Verse 9, the Lord knoweth how to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. And then verse 22, which really sums it up. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog has turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed her wallowing in the mire. There may be the outward appearance to men that it's a saved individual, but here it's very clear they were a dog or a swine that got cleaned up and they turned back to their old way of who they really were. They were never saved to begin with. No, there is no limited atonement here. The question that I would ask though as we look at this, why are Christians often intimidated with the naming of false teachers? and identifying their teaching. And that's really one of the reasons that it's creeping into churches today, that we're intimidated with naming them. The, today, I am not naming. That's not my goal or my purpose today, to be naming. First of all, I don't know this flock. God has given you a pastor that knows the flock and the needs that are here. But secondly, even as we look at Second Peter, what God chose to give and what Peter was writing here was not to name who the false teachers were at that time that they were being faced with. He was teaching them. He was educating. These are the characteristics. These are things to be looking for that are going to be evident in the life, in the ministry, in the fruit of the false teachers. I want us now to look at the impact of these false teachers in verse 2. Many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. 
First of all, we see the aspect that it's widespread, that there's going to be a widespread following, that it's going to be popular and appealing, and many shall follow their pernicious ways. Again, this is written in a tense that it is going to happen. It's a prediction that's going to happen. There's no question about it. And it also reminds us that as we look around, number does not represent godliness. In fact, if we were to associate number with godliness, more and more it's the fewer, the greater the likelihood of godliness in lives. We need to be careful that we don't allow ourselves to become overwhelmed or discouraged or frustrated because we're small bodies. When we moved to Nova Scotia, the little church that I was passionate to start with and then at the camp where there are others around, a number of the parents were always complaining that there were no youth programs for their young people like the churches in the States have. And talking privately to the parents, I cautioned them on several fronts. First of all, you have a heart of discontentment. So there can't be godliness. God's not going to be pleased. Secondly, you're going to sow sow discontentment in the hearts of your own children for not being content with what God has provided and where you are. And thirdly, as a father... We moved our children as young teenagers from a good church in North Carolina to come to this place that you're saying is forsaken. And I don't want that sown in my children's hearts and lives either. Numbers is not what makes it. It's obedience to the Word of God. So we need to understand the impact of these teachers that many are going to follow. What ought that to do to our hearts? It ought not to cause a discouragement. It really ought to cause a brokenness. It ought to cause a weeping, understanding that many are being deceived and being blinded. And here again, we come back to that word pernicious ways, the fully destructive ways of the teaching and the following of what's going on. We see also that there's a tragic result when we look at it in the light of eternity as we look here in chapter verse 2. A reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And that phrase by reason of literally means this is the channel, this is the way that it's going to take uh, place, that the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. That term evil spoken of again is future. It's something that's going to continue going on. It's a prophecy given of something that's going to take place. And truth is it's going to continue to take place until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to judge this earth. Uh, But evil spoken of literally means blasphemed. Sometimes, again, that term blasphemy, I think we lose the understanding of how serious of a term it is. And sometimes we don't apply it in the places that we ought to be applying it. What is blasphemy? It's anything that's contrary to the truth of God or to the character of God. The word evil spoken of is the same word that was used in Luke chapter 12 and verse 10. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. So do you understand that these false teachers, that false teaching that's going on is literally blasphemy? It gives a little bit more understanding of the gravity and the seriousness of the false teaching, the false teachers Going on. Notice what the blasphemy is against. The way of truth 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's what is being evil spoken of. We're going to draw some applications later today of where we are today, of what we see and hear going on today. But we need to understand what that is. That's what Peter was warning us about right here for our own lives. Many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. We're going to look more at it this afternoon. For application into our lives today, we need to get the principles from God's word grounded into our hearts and our lives. But I'd ask you this morning in your own hearts and your own lives, first of all, I don't know this body. And I would never, ever be so presumptuous as to assume that every individual in any body that we're in is saved if I don't know them personally. If there's anybody here this morning that does not know in your life, if you don't have that absolute assurance that there's a time that you have repented of your sin, accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to understand that you're being deceived by the God of this world, that you're being deceived by your own heart and mind as well from the understanding of that truth. And actually this matter of the false teachers and the false prophets is going to seem ridiculous to you because there's going to be an appeal to you in many ways on these things. But for the majority, if not all, that are here this morning, for those that know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, do you understand these are not words that were just penned 2,000 years ago for a group of people that were receiving this parchment? These were words inspired by the Holy Spirit that were given to us today in 2018 as we enter 2019. They're words that have probably been no more relevant than they are today. They're serious words that we need to take to understanding. Now, how is it in your own heart and your own life? First of all, are you rejoicing in that truth? We have a more sure word of prophecy than even being able to say that we saw or that we heard the audible. We have the completed revelation of God's word given to us, preserved and soundly translated into our language and available to us today. Are you rejoicing in that? And then secondly, are you being honest with yourself to understand that everything is not just wonderful, sit back and enjoy the ride until you go home to be with the Lord, that we're in the midst of a spiritual warfare, and that even as there were false teachers that came in among them, false prophets, that there are false teachers that are going to be coming in. And as we're going to look this afternoon, we're not to cower or fear, we're not to be overwhelmed or consumed by this, but that we're armed and we're equipped to be more than victors through the Lord Jesus Christ.